0: This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey everybody, Carm Capriato Remarkable Results Radio. It's a January 2024 show. Not sure exactly what date it's gonna come out. I'm with my great friend Andy Bizub. Hello, Andy. Good morning. Good to have you here. Midwest Performance Cars Euro Shop in Chicago, Northbrook, and Westmount.
1: Westmont.
0: Westmont, Illinois. Wow. Cool. Good for you. And uh, thank you so much for coming into the Apex studio this back in 2023 with uh, Brandon, right? Yeah. Yeah, one of our co-owners. Yeah, one of your successors, one of the two new successors. And I love your website. I went on your website the other day and you have co-owner listed for these guys. And here's, it says uh, technician slash co-owner. That is just so cool. I love that. Love that. I get a kick out of it. and I'm not him. Yeah, Andy and I were just chatting the other day. And, you know, this guy came from the finance world, has a great business, lives in Texas, shops in Chicago. You should be envious. And this past year, we both married daughters, didn't we?
1: Yeah, that was great. (laughs) We had a wonderful time down in Texas.
0: I've never seen, never, what a Texas wedding looks like until he sent me pictures.
1: (laughs) Oh my. Ranch
0: chic. (laughs) Blue
1: jeans and tuxedo jackets. Yeah.
0: It was so cool. Congrats to you.
1: Thanks. And you too.
0: Remember, if you earn your living in the service aftermarket, then Apex is the expo for you. Continue listening and we'll bring you the latest from Apex 2024. Save the date, November 5th through the 7th, 2024. Hey, did you know that Napa Tracks has on-site training plus six days a week support? It all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business and how you run it. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Let us prove to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Find Napa Tracks on the web at N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. So Andy sent me an article and he says, you got to read this, my friend. And it was from a spectator article from the United Kingdom. And I read it and I said, oh my God, there's so much here. There's just so much here. One of the big takeaways that I had with it, because kind of a little bit about the airline industry, Andy, and it was, there's so many choices that we have and how we want to fly. Do we want to, we want a refund? We want these seats, cheap seats, good seats, bad seats. In our business, we're wondering why we can't charge for stuff. And the consumers face with all these issues. And yet, what do they want? They want something good, but they don't want to pay for it. I think, isn't that?
1: Yeah. You know, so what consumers say that they want and what they actually end up buying are, very often two different things. They say that they want good quality at a reasonable price, but then they either, almost all purchases end up being price-driven or quality-driven, not in the middle, not like a good price and good quality. They either go for a luxury item or they go for the cheapest thing available. The reason why this really piqued my interest was because it was about the airline industry. Because I live in a different city than where my businesses are, I fly about 50 round trips a year. I was flying about 50 round trips a year. I'm doing it less now. So I fly frequently. And you would think that, so if you think about airline, there's first class slash business class. They're kind of the same. They're very expensive. They're doubled to four times as much as as an economy seat. And then there's premium economy, which gives you a little more baggage options and more legroom, a more comfortable seat. And then there's economy, which is the, the steerage class. I mean, just the cheapest seats. It's very tight. And you would think on an airplane that given those three choices, probably the biggest section of the plane should be the premium economy because it's a pretty nice seat. It's not uncomfortable. It's about 50, 60, 70 bucks more than an economy seat. That's not what most consumers choose they all go to either the cheapest economy seat or to the first class slash business class seat. So they either pay way up for the nicest seat or they go to the cheapest option available. And I think that there's a lesson in there for us shop owners because one of the things that I hear really often is people in my, when there's discussions about labor rates, about charging, about proper pricing, people in my area won't pay that. They just won't pay that number. Well, because of of the phenomena of what's called barbell pricing, and this is all over retail, where you have the cheap option and you have the full service, for lack of a better word, luxury option. You've got to decide, are you either going to be a Walmart model or are you going to be a, a Saks or Ralph Lauren model where it's very high service, very high touch? You're driving your customer's buying decision on that extra value that you provide beyond just changing the oil and changing the filter and turning the car back.
0: I got to stop you right there. I really do. This is powerful stuff because man, do we come up with great topics here on the show? And thank you for bringing this to us. And when I think about people saying, I can't charge that much, Andy, Is it possible that the individual themselves who say they can't, they live in a Walmart environment. They're always hunting for the cheapest and the lowest quality. They can't bring themselves up to the, I have to charge this must to sustain my business. Maybe there's something wrong with the decision maker.
1: I always look for the best value. I'm always looking for the, I want to get product A, I have a quality level that I need or desire. Where can I get it the cheapest? Now, there are instances where I'm much more willing to pay more because it's available local to me. Down in our place in in the middle of Texas, in central Texas, I use that hardware store down there all the time and I pay a higher price because I want that hardware store to be there tomorrow when I need that product. Amazon doesn't deliver in central Texas, you know, in a rural area. So I think we kind of fool ourselves into into saying, well, people just aren't going to pay for it. If you're offering the same service as the Jiffy Lube or the Firestone, yeah, they're, they're probably not going to pay for it, extra for it. But if you're offering something beyond that, and it's not just cappuccino or, or stuff like that, because I'll tell you, one of the things that's really interesting, if you think about dealerships, dealerships are kind of a market anomaly in our industry because they charge a premium price and so many people hate going there because they hate the experience of taking their car for service at a dealership. So how do they get away with that? Well, they get away with it because they, they usually have the best location. They have a lot of locations. So when we opened our shop this summer in Westmont, our third shop, we opened right on Dealers Row. We don't have a fancy coffee machine or everything, but all these friends of mine and people that I knew from that area they all said, oh, we're so happy that you guys are out there because we hate going to the dealers. These are BMW, Audi, even the Porsche dealer, the Mercedes dealer, but even the Porsche dealer down the street. People are looking for that alternative because they're paying a really, really high price and they're getting a service that they don't enjoy. So when they come to us, they're paying a pretty high price. They're getting a service that they really do enjoy. I mean, it's a challenge to make servicing your car enjoyable, that is our goal, is make servicing your car enjoyable.
0: I'm a high-end vehicle owner. I'm just making up this story. And I'm with my buds, or we're at the country club, or we're at dinner with friends. And where do you take your car to get fixed? I say, I take it to the dealer. They may hate that experience. They may not enjoy it. But somehow, the dealer has some kind of impact, value, value. Status and you're finding out and knowing that it doesn't because we have 70% of out of of warranty work that flows into the independent side. How do we, as independents, and there are a ton of great quality independents that look, feel, smell better than dealers, and they do have the good quality curing. The Starbucks is in the weight room. How do we change that paradigm and allow us to charge a life sustaining rate? both labor margin on parts, so that we can hire the best people, offer them the best benefits, invest in the right tooling. You say, I can't, then you're saying that you're not long for this world.
1: It really comes down to your people and the experience that they're giving to your, to your client when they walk in the door, when they contact them during this course of the service being done and when they hand the car back to them and they go and drive off. What kind of experience are you giving them? Are you giving them the kind of experience that they're going to be compelled to write a review saying, I can't believe the way I was treated? It's I've never had an experience like this because we not to toot in our own horn, but we do get those kind of reviews where it's not it's not people talking about what the back of our shop looks like or what our waiting room looks like or the fact that we you know, send them off in an Uber because we usually we don't really have waiters. We put them in an Uber, send them where they want to go. That's not the stuff they talk about. What they really talk about is the interaction with our front-end staff. And every once in a while, if they have to talk to a technician about something technical on their car, those interactions are really what drive the value. Yes, we have a three-year warranty on our work. A lot of independent shops have that now. But it's really the experience they have with our people. And I'm going to keep that little part for the end of this episode because I think we're going to, in the broadcast parlance, a teaser...
0: If you went to Apex 2023, then you realized the incredible commitment that Apex has to the service professional shop owner, technician, and service advisor. Joe's Garage is your place to hang out with 10 working bays and real live working conditions. Also, the best tech companies from tools and repair to management software had their latest and greatest on display and demonstrated for you. You also attended technical and business management training with the industry's best and brightest trainers, coaches, and teachers. Work is underway to make next year's Apex 2024 have even more product demos, trending training, marketing, and social media support to help you grow your career sales and profits. Remember, if you earn your living in the service aftermarket, then Apex is the expo for you. Continue listening and we'll bring you the latest from Apex 2024. Save the date, November 5th through the 7th, 2024. Hey, let's face it. Your shop management system is the single most important tool in your shop, period. Napa Tracks has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the industry's best, most comprehensive SMS. Now, it all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business and how you need to run it. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice, and having local representation is a huge plus. Customizing tracks to your business, whether you're a one-person shop or a large multi-bay or multi-location company, a representative consults with you to help optimize your shop's workflow, efficiency, and profitability. Tracks always has the flexibility to do business how you need to do it, which means it can also grow as your business grows. And unlike the other guys, we'll be there for you after installation with the best training and support in the business. Yes, a learning management system tailored to each role in your company. Simply put, Trax was designed and built for shop owners just like you. Visit us on the web at NapaTrax, that's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot So how hard is it for me, a shop owner who says I can't charge them prices and maybe hits a wall and says, I will, I can, I must, how hard is it to go to become a five-star Michelin style (laughs) shop? It seems that it could be the biggest mountain to look to climb.
1: My first shop, the one in Chicago, April 1st of 2014, when I took that over, it was a failing shop on its way out where... People did not have a great experience. We did the technical work. I was a customer of the shop. I was always impressed with the technical work, and the price was significantly less than the dealer. But it wasn't a great people experience. The service advisor and whatnot. But I went there because it was my first fun car, and and it costs a lot to maintain. And they made it a lot cheaper, and they did it right. But that wasn't really enough to grow the business. So we ended up changing out basically the entire. Well, we did. We changed out the entire front end staff it took years i mean it, this is not it doesn't happen overnight you have to have i've talked about this a lot you have to have buy in you have to have buy in from your staff that this is a mission that we're on to provide that kind of a customer experience that kind of exceptional experience to our clients because we want to charge be in the upper range of pricing to be able to have the technology have the personnel, have the benefits to keep, retract, and retain those personnel. You got to provide something that's exceptional, hands-on relationship-based experience for your clients. Yeah, it took a while, but it was about three years before we really were in that groove. And then we're able to open our second shop. You know, had of course opening a new shop had some bumps along the way, but got that keyed up. And then open the third one this year in this aim for a seamless experience across all three shops, whichever one you go to, you're going to get the same kind of exceptional, heartfelt, empathetic interaction with our people about your vehicle and about you and about what your transportation issues are.
0: Okay. I can't charge what everybody says that I should be charging. And that kind of defines me as an individual who is unwilling to do the hard work and the heavy lift.
1: Let me give you some numbers here. Getting back to the general retail space, because I really do like to look outside of the automotive industry for business examples and things that we can make use of. Uh, Now, I'm going to ask you for a couple things. Take a guess. Nordstrom, I wouldn't say they're a luxury retailer, a middle to upper retail experience. How many Nordstrom stores would you guess are in the U.S.? You can't be wrong. Just take a wild guess.
0: You're asking me 250.
1: It's not bad. There's 362. How many Targets are in the US at the lower end of the retail
0: spectrum? Okay, 1,700.
1: Pretty good. 1,950. How many Walmarts are there?
0: 3,000.
1: 4,700. <laughs> boggled my mind when I thought there's 4,700 Walmarts in the United States. I mean, I would think there's 4,700 Walmarts in the world because honestly, I don't shop at Walmart. And the reason why is because of the quality and the experience. I am not going to buy a tool at Walmart because it has a very high likelihood of injuring. It's just not a quality. The products that they stock are the lowest end of whatever brand, whatever item it is. You know, they don't have the best blender. They have the cheapest blender. So you have to decide, am I going to go for the Walmart model? Or am I or am I going to go above? I mean, I would say even above a Nordstrom. I would place our retail experience in our three shops is better than Nordstrom. And Nordstrom is, is pretty darn good for being a nationwide chain. But we're better. We just have a more touch more personal connection with our clients. And that's what really impacts them, brings them back and leads them to tell other people about us.
0: I still can buy Coke and Pepsi and a lot of great brand names at Walmart because we're in my country town. That's the big place. Yet there's a very important major brand grocery store in that town that has half the cars in it. Not even I can't even believe that they're surviving and everything's always on sale and I can go there. I can go to the better brand name store buy Coke better than I can at Walmart. So the point is, is that even though Walmart has that rep going there for this, you're buying an awful lot of stuff that you're paying slightly higher price than you feel you are. But in aggregate, everything that's in the basket is probably going to be less than if I bought all the same stuff at the other place.
1: Well, it's significant that you brought up Coke and Pepsi, because Coke and Pepsi are commodity products. So there's other drinks. I don't drink Coke or Pepsi. I'm pretty health conscious. There's other drinks. Wait
0: a minute. I got it, Andy. We are a sports drink. We charge four ninety five for a 16-ounce thing to make me better.
1: We're a healthy sports drink. We're not packed with sugar
0: bingo there's the mental image you need to get to your people we're going for the healthy sports drink thing
1: so i mean there's a good one right there are a couple other things there's one thing from this article that i thought was really good consumers get a buzz from a bargain but they get a thrill from an extravagance and that doesn't leave they don't get much a middle market yeah it was good there's not much there they don't remember it there's not much to talk about so if you're sitting in the, in the $49 seat on Spirit, you're happy because you only paid 49 bucks to get to where you're going. But man, that's a tough experience.
0: Everybody says so.
1: If you're sitting in the $700 seat on Virgin Airlines in first class, really comfortable seat and you're getting a really great experience. My wife and I years ago flew, actually for her 40th birthday, we flew to Paris on Virgin and it was unbelievable on business class. It was I've never been on an airline like that before it was just incredible and it wasn't even it wasn't even the most expensive seat on the plane or the most expensive seat among all the airlines
0: so here you're talking about it and you have a memory of it and I've been on a soapbox in the last three or four months Andy and maybe you and I have actually shared these things this thought of the 2024 needs to be the year of the customer and the client experience officer. At least that role, that mentality, that attitude inside of our businesses. Because I've been hearing an awful lot lately. Been talking to Hunt Demarest about stuff. How was your third quarter? What's going on? What do you see? Recession, politics, and all that stuff. And the word that I'm getting back, and we're doing a we're doing a 2024 Outlook show really soon, and. The word I'm getting back is we're back, guys, ladies. We're back to pre-COVID challenges of running our business. And that is to work every element hard. mean, you just can't, there's not that sit back revenue coming in four weeks out. We're back to pre-COVID. So we've got to go back, bring that attitude, that mentality here, but do business differently. And this is so apropos to the client experience. Everything that we need to do, Forget raising your price. Forget having the highest labor rate. Just give the best customer experience. Watch them come in heavily booked, loving you to death. And there's nothing that you can't do to maintain your profit structure and hire the best people because you can't do it without getting paid. That's
1: one of the things that you just said, right? So have that customer experience that gets you heavily booked. That determines your labor rate. I mean, if you're booked out three weeks, you can probably raise your labor rate. Probably safe in raising it. It's this is a constant thing. I mean, could change. Business is really a phenomenon of constant change. Successful businesses, growing businesses, don't stagnate and just keep the same all the time. So we're always looking at all these factors. Not our labor rate. What do we charge for this? Are we going to remove the shop supplies fee? Because I'm I, this is a big thing I've really been thinking about because. We always say we want to make things clean and streamlined for our clients. Why clutter up that invoice with another thing on it? So we've gone back and forth and we've wrestled with this for months now. And we're still, we haven't made a decision on it. That's a great example of, you know, take that one thing off the invoice, take the clutter away. That One of the things about dealerships that amazes me is their invoices still seem like they're out of the 1980s. They're so antiquated, the way they read out. All this ancillary information that the client doesn't need to see. Line after line where it's zero charge. You always see those zero, 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 and then you get to that bottom and it's a big number. Take a look at a dealership invoice, you, you know, when you can. They just seem like they're out of three generations of Microsoft uh, x86 operating system.
0: So here I am thinking very large about should we remove a shop fee? I go to a restaurant, sit down, look at the menu, realize the last time I was there, the prices are up. And I say to myself, okay, we know where all the cost of supply chain, all this stuff that's going on. I get it. I will pay $19 for this broiled fish dinner. And then the bill comes. And then it says... If I use my credit card, I've used my credit card forever Andy, and I paid $15 for that fish 2 years ago, now I'm paying 1920 whatever it is, and now they want to charge me 3% to use my credit card. And I don't know how many people have are starting to bundle cash in their wallet anymore, but I know the younger generations, they don't use cash, they use the card. And doesn't that piss you off? So to your point, let me see they don't even tell you on the menu up front. The waiter waitress doesn't even tell you, oh, by the way, there's a fee if you pay a credit card. Oh, we'll go wash the dishes. We'll go out to the car, get the stash that's in the glove compartment. None of that exists. I'm at a point where I love what you said. Let's not piss off the customer by showing those little line items. So if I was Andy Bizzop, I know what Andy Bizzop is doing in Texas. He's got his yellow pad, his financial statements, all of his labor numbers, what he's billing. And he's saying, I've collected X in shop supplies, and I've billed this many hours, and all I have to do to remove that from the invoice is charge 75 cents more an hour to create that revenue.
1: More than that, it's a significant number.
0: Whatever the number is, Andy. If, if it's $3, whatever the number is, lift and manage your business to the point where you're trying to give a better experience. Clean, lean, mean.
1: Think of the easy, the low-hanging fruit, right? We do all this work to create awareness of our business. Draw that first customer in give them a great experience, do the work properly. Then we hand them an invoice with a 3% charge for using their credit. You want to pay me? I'm going to charge you to pay me. I mean, what a ridiculous thing. And I'll tell you this. So getting back to the airline, and I've been flying since we moved down to Texas in 2019. Like I said, I fly very, very frequently. I fly almost all the time for free because I do all of our shop billing. Every vendor that will possibly take it, I bill on a series of credit cards that we rotate around and I get free flyer miles on all those. And so all my travel is free. So when I don't fly Southwest, Southwest is the most convenient. It's an okay experience, but it's kind of a cattle call, but it's most proximity wise convenient for me down here in Texas. It's it's 15 minutes from my house. If I don't fly Southwest, if I fly a major, I'm first class all the time. And it's free because I got points and I've been doing it for years. So I've seen that experience I live that experience between the first class and the cattle call. Those are my two barbells of flying.
0: So we don't have points in our industry. Maybe maybe that's a cool idea, but you're seeing a customer, I don't know, one and a half, two. Well, I
1: think Buckley does. He's got the loyalty. Yeah, those are interesting.
0: Let's talk about everything that we have to look at and manage and While you were speaking about five minutes ago, I was starting to write down tech productivity, bay productivity, margin per hour, and all of these. If we know all these numbers, we're working with a coach or an advisor or a peer. Pick up the phone, call Andy, Andy, and Andy will walk you through this because he's doing all of this math. Then you get the big smart spreadsheet from a guy like Bill Haas and build your labor rate from the ground up based on your target goal of profit. And boom, there's your labor rate and stare at it and look at it and compare it to where you are and say, what do I have to do to have my customers feel value for that rate that I need to charge? Where is my experience? What am I doing to hire really good people? that my client's willing to pay for that level of service. I think we're in a brainiac movement this year that we've got to get smarter about everything we do.
1: The thing was, especially when we opened a third shop in summer, we were in a new market, brand new shop. We took a did some looking around to see what the labor rates of the dealerships around there because we were right in the same location. And if you haven't done this, these dealerships, they used COVID in the last couple of years ensuing to really, really raise their labor rates. We have dealerships around us that are almost $400 an hour. You know, (laughs) if you're not paying attention, you may be sitting at a number that you don't realize you're no longer 20% under a dealer, you're 40% under the dealer.
0: So in dealer row, where your shop is in uh, Westmont? Yep,
1: we're 195. 195. And the dealers around us are 225, but at 195, we can, I mean, that's a good number for us.
0: Highest rate on the street, Porsche?
1: Porsche is, I think they are 295. It's actually even, it's either BMW or Mercedes. I'm not sure which one is higher than them. BMWs need a lot more fixing.
0: (laughs) I don't own one, but I hear that all the time. Oh yeah. All the time.
1: They're higher maintenance than Porsche. Yeah.
0: Let me see, do, I don't even know anyone that has a BMW but I'm in Buffalo there's there's not a whole lot of any high end stuff here although we have those vehicles and
1: my condolences on, on the loss we were really pulling for you guys
0: it's something I just can't even talk about because as I saw that game go back and forth in an exciting way and all of a sudden a couple of passes dropped and then of course the repeat of the Giants Super Bowl with the wide right that could have made a difference okay I promise I wouldn't talk about it <laughs> <laughs> the whole barbell thing and what's in the middle you can't be in the middle if you want to live in the low end then accept what the low end gives you accept the fact that you're going to be looking for talent forever accept the fact that you're not going to have a whole lot of money to take home and live a great life provide for your children your family have a great retirement or get up to the place you need to be
1: well and think about this if you do live in the middle you're getting hammered from both sides. Well, one side isn't hammering you because they're pretty much ignoring you. The high-end customer that is willing to pay, that understands what it takes to maintain that car properly, they're very likely looking at you and saying, why are they so cheap? But you're getting continually pecked by the price shopper always asking you to give them a discount, lower your prices. Why are you so expensive? It's a terrible place to exist.
0: Listen, I'm big on image and I think what you look like how clean the place is, what the outside looks like, the lighting, the environment, has so much to do with I'm willing to pay X for my feel, my experience, I'm there. The quality of my service advisors, are they relationship trust builders? All of that figures. So if you're gonna climb this ladder, don't expect to do it overnight to your point, but get yourself a plan, sit down with your team, and says, hey, listen, here's where we're going. I've already bought the paint. We're doing the drywall over. We've got new furniture coming. We're going to this kind of training. And this is going to take a couple of years to metamorphose, if that's the right word.
1: Metamorphosize. or
0: Morphosize our business. (laughs) Yes. To me, those are exciting change opportunities ahead of our industry if we choose to accept them.
1: This is a great segue into our teaser. So to do that, you need to have the right team assembled, and they need to believe in the mission. And it's not just going to be money that motivates them to believe to take up your mission and to do the job. Just as an example, at our shops, each one of our shops hosts at least one event a year. Our Northbrook shop, a swap meet for the Porsche Club, our Chicago shop, We'll usually host some kind of a spring event. And then we also host a toy drive every December, it brings hundreds of people and thousands of toys. But before every one of these events, we we keep the shops really clean, but we go through a big cleaning a spree the week before, just absolutely tidying up everything. Everybody gets in on it. Even the techs grab the floor scrubber. And it's really an all hands on deck and they don't get paid any extra for this. It's just, they believe in the mission. They believe in putting that best image forward. And they've seen the results from getting that, putting that face out to the public. So I'm going to go right to the the byline, of extraordinary results with ordinary people. So I'm going to, here's the teaser for an upcoming episode. This book, The Driving Force by Peter Schutz. This guy was the CEO of Porsche from 1980 to 1987. During the fall, I went to a presentation up around Chicago. His daughter, he passed away in the mid-20 teens. His daughter came and gave a presentation on the book and told some of the stories of his life. And I went to it because it was a Porsche Club event, and I wasn't expecting that much. It was a really good presentation. I bought a couple copies of the book just to support her, and I wasn't expecting that much out of the book because... In my experience, a lot of business books could be pamphlet, really. You know, you put down the basic things, the outlines, you put down the points, you explain them, and then I don't need another 150 pages reiterating what you explained. I started reading this book and I went, and if you can see, I stopped reading at like page 10 and jumped up and grabbed Post-it notes to start writing because I was like hitting nugget after nugget in this book. This is one of the best business books I've ever read. And it's not meant to be a business book. It's really a story of this guy's professional career. To me, it's very entertaining because it does have a lot of Porsche featured in it. But this guy started as an engineer at Caterpillar. I think everybody would really enjoy business lessons in here. The life lessons. You want to get some of the keys to building an effective team that believes in what you're doing and not just believes in getting a paycheck. This is a great book to read. So I'm, I encourage everybody to get a copy of this book and read it because you and I are going to do an upcoming episode on this book.
0: I got to read the book. In fact, we'll put it on the books page and the books page on the website is having, uh, we had some problems with connections to Amazon because we had the links and it got all crashed out. They changed their policy. So we're in major surgery on our books page, but I'll make sure that's on there. Thank you for telling me about this book. I did buy it the same day that you and we'll get together.
1: May have to buy it you because the hardcover is kind of expensive.
0: Yeah, it's 40 bucks for the hardcover, but I found a paperback, I think for around a dozen dollars. And I think it came from maybe a used bookseller or something like that.
1: This is the kind of book that if you get it used, it's not going to be abused.
0: Driving Force. The author again, Peter.
1: Peter Schutz.
0: Peter Schutz. And he was the CEO of Porsche?
1: He was the CEO of Porsche. He came from Cummins Diesel. To Porsche. It's such a great story. I'll just give you one little vignette. He was interviewing with the Porsche board, which included several members of the Porsche family. And they were talking to him and, and he stopped them during the interview. And he said, I think you have the wrong guy. I don't know anything about sports cars. And they said, we don't care. We've got people who know how to build sports cars. We need someone who can basically build our people, who can build our teams, who can manage our people. We don't need someone who knows sports cars.
0: It's not about the tools that I have. It's not about, uh, oh, I don't have to be a, a technician to be a great lead. Oh. It's
1: really interesting.
0: That's the the reality check that I think we have been chatting about on this podcast for eight years. Get out of your own way. Start doing, I mean, there's all kinds of self-help things that we can do as leaders of our businesses. And that is if you want it. I mean, you got to want it, Andy. You got to say, listen, I've been, I've been floating in this sea of struggle for, for 10 years now. And the industry is changing, technology is changing, so shorthanded of really high-quality, talented people. How am I ever going to survive? The question is, how am I going to survive? The answers are right here on the podcast with networking people like you, with advisors and coaches. The answers are there. And one of the things that, in fact, I recently did it in an episode with Dr. David Wyman, is that when I was a little younger.
1: Great episode, by the way. Oh, thank you. For, Great
0: episode. The one on change?
1: Yes. Oh my God. Fantastic.
0: It is. When I listen to it, you know, of course I did the episode, but then I go and I always listen to him to critique myself and to actually sit back as a listener and learn. And I pulled so much away from that. And I told the story in that episode is when I was younger, I was afraid to ask questions because I didn't know the answer to them because I didn't want anybody to, oh yeah, sure, I get that. I didn't get that, right? (laughs) And there was this moment in time that I started to say, I'm not really sure where you're going with that. What does that really mean? And I was the smartest guy in the meeting because I asked what I thought was a dumb question and they come up to me at the end of the meeting and says, man, thank God you asked that because we didn't know either. And we were afraid to ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we were afraid to ask. And it's not like I had the stones to ask. I realized that part of the responsibility that I had to the job and the people that I was working for and the paycheck that I got every day was that I had to be really good at what I do. There's a point in time you just can't phony your way through. And that's what's going on today. We're, we're ignoring so many of the signals that we get, and we're not doing anything about them signals. And I would rather get up in front of people and says, time out, let's rewind, <laughs> take me back to the beginning. I don't get this.
1: If I knew that in my 20s, if I would have been more apt to ask more questions and admit that I didn't know things, I would have been heading even better, more successful financial career than I had. And it was pretty good.
0: Me too, buddy. I mean, I'll tell you, if I could go back and have maybe not the 20s over again, because I was a loose cannon then. I I mean, although I was married, you know, I don't know if I was a super great husband in the beginning and or son in a family business. But if I could have my 30s over again, I think that would have been a very good year for me, for us, me and Anne to go back and be as wise
1: (laughs) as I am today. Well, I was lucky. I I found my thirty two-year career at the age of 18, so.
0: Wow, yeah, well, good for you. Yeah, you had something going on, but there's so many of us out there that have come from family, and and me too. You just, oh, okay, you step over the line, you're in the family business, And, and that was expected. And what are you supposed to learn? Who's supposed to lead or guide you? No one. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, figure it out. You're supposed to know it all,
0: yeah. You got my genes in you. You should know everything that I knew. But wait a minute, Dad, you're here you're 50 years old, and you'll never admit to us the 2,000 mistakes you made to get where you are, and you expect me never to make one. <laughs> I've heard those stories all through my career, uh, That how, how difficult it is to groom and grow yourself in a family business. And so I, I can so relate. Andy, this was great thank you for reaching out and and bringing all this stuff to us I think this is a great episode I can't wait to get this released
1: I hope people enjoyed it there's a lot of good stuff in this in looking at these markets and looking at what consumers consumers actually choose beyond what they say they want I think there's a lot to be a lot to be had and, and people can really can really improve their the market that they're pitching to really drilling down and, and recognizing what people buy versus what they say they're going to
0: buy. Yeah, I love that. Love that. Andy Bissett, Midwest Performance Cars, out of Chicago, three stores. Thanks, buddy.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Carm.
0: Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time...